This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We appreciate those of you who are watching today, and we may have those watching for the first time, and we want to welcome you today. We thank you for tuning in to watch our telecast. Now today on our program, we want to talk about the foolishness of God. Now that might sound a rather, like to be a rather strange topic, but you stay tuned as we discuss that today, the foolishness of God. Now on our telecast, we offer a free Bible correspondence course. We want to still make it available today. And in order that you might know more about the course, in order that you might know how to receive the course, let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. The Apostle Paul is the author of the book of 1 Corinthians as well as 2 Corinthians. He wrote many other books of the New Testament. And in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, Paul is writing to these people who were a, uh, in an intellectual center of the world, in a part of the world where the, the gospel was not considered in the best of lights. And I want you to th listen as I read from 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 17, and I'll be reading through verse 25. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of not effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign of the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. There were people in Corinth who prided themselves in their wisdom, in their knowledge, in their philosophy. And if they could not 
reason something from a premise to a logical conclusion that it just wasn't worthy of their consideration. But you see, frequently, there is no logic, logical connection between what God may command of an individual and the end result. And I want to give you some illustrations of that, but first let me call your attention to some passages in the 55th chapter of Isaiah showing that when we try to compare the thinking of God and the reasoning of God with the thinking and the reasoning of man, there's just no comparison. God is so superior in both departments, in his thinking, in his reasoning. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, the Lord said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts and your thoughts, and my ways than your ways. The thoughts that God has are so superior to the thoughts and the thinking of man. And sometimes there isn't any logical connection between what God asked us to do or what God has asked man to do through the ages and the end result of that. For example, in the book of Exodus, God's people were in the land of Egypt and they were in bondage and they'd cried out for deliverance. And God heard the cries of his people and he selected Moses to be the one to lead them out of the land of Egypt. In the third chapter of Exodus, he appeared to Moses at the bush that burned and yet it was not consumed. He commissioned Moses to go back to the land of Egypt. Moses had previously fled from the land of Egypt, and, but now God is asking him to go back. At first, Moses began to try to explain to God that he was incapable of the task, and, uh, but God sent him back with, along with Moses' brother Aaron, and they appeared before Pharaoh. They began to plead that Pharaoh would let the people go. And he delivered the message that God gave to him, let my people go. And Pharaoh asked the question, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice? But finally, God brought plagues on the land of Egypt. And the last of those plagues was the death of the firstborn of both man and beast throughout all of the land. But now God loved his people and he wanted to spare his people from that plague. So he had Moses to tell the people to go out into their flocks, find a lamb that was a year old, one without blemish, and to put the blood of that animal on the lintel and the doorpost of their houses. In Exodus, the 12th chapter and verse 13, the Lord said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And so every home that had blood on the door was spared the death of the firstborn. Now let me ask you a question. What is the logical connection between putting blood on the outside of your door and the firstborn on the inside of the house not dying during the night? Well, from a standpoint of logic and human reasoning, there is no connection. But the reason that the firstborn did not die is because the father in that household did what God told him to do even though there was no logical connection. So sometimes what that which God requires from a human point of view 
does not seem to be logical. It does not seem to be a reasonable thing to ask. But the end result is always to bless his people. Another illustration is in 2 Kings, the fifth chapter. And that's where we read the story about Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian. He was the captain of the army. But the Bible says that he was a leper. Jesus talked about him in Luke, the fourth chapter, in verse 27, when he said there were many lepers in Israel in the days of Elias the prophet, and none of them was healed, saving Naaman the Syrian. What the Naaman was told to go and dip in the river Jordan seven times. That didn't seem to be logical to him. He wanted to know why he couldn't dip in the rivers where he lived. Aren't they good enough? And at first... Naaman thought that he could tell God what he ought to do. He said, Behold, I thought this is what I'd be told. But then finally he went to the River Jordan and he dipped in the River Jordan the first time, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth time, and he was still a leper. And it was not until he dipped in the Jordan the seventh time that he was healed of his leprosy. Now, I want to ask you a question. What was the logical connection between Naaman dipping in the river seven times being healed of his leprosy? A number of years ago, I had the opportunity of going to the Bible lands. I've seen that river. I can tell you that uh, I've, I've touched the water. There isn't any power in the water. And somebody says, well, now, the reason that Naaman was healed is because God told him to dip seven times. Well, now we're getting somewhere. In other words, the reason Naaman was healed was not because it was logical, but because he did that which God told him to do. And that's exactly right. Let, let me give you another illustration. In Numbers, the fir- 21st chapter, there were fiery serpents or snakes that were killing the people. And God instructed Moses to make a a brazen serpent, a brass serpent, put it on a pole. And everyone that would look upon that pole would live and they would not die. You know, in John, the third chapter, Jesus in verse 14 said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And Jesus had reference to that uh, event back in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. But now what was the connection between a person looking at a brass serpent on a pole and them not dying from snake bite? Well, someone says, well, that, 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 that's easy, Brother Lambert. The reason the people did not die from snake bite is because God said to, to, that, to look on that brazen serpent, and if they would look on it, they would live and they would not die. In other words, they were doing what God says. There wasn't any logical connection with it. It, From a human standpoint, it may not have made any sense. But again, it was just something that man may have considered to be foolish that God used to help mankind. Let me give you another illustration. And this one is in John the ninth chapter. And there was a man who had been born blind. And, And this man was confronted with our Lord, and Jesus told this man to go and wash 
in the pool, and he would come forth seeing. And the man did what Jesus told him to do, and the man was healed. He could see. And later the people were, were amazed because they knew this man. They knew his history. And, and they were amazed that now he could see. Now let me ask you, what was the connection between a man going and washing in a pool of water and being healed of his blindness? Well, someone said that's a simple answer to that, Brother Lambert. The man was healed of his blindness because he did what the Lord Jesus Christ told him to do. But there's not any logical connection between that. There's no human, from a human standpoint and from human reasoning, there is no logical explanation for that. Because the fact is, frequently, there is no connection between the thing commanded and the end result. That is, there's no logical connection. Now let me give you some other illustrations of that. You think about the death of Jesus Christ. Try to picture Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says in Hebrews 2 and verse 9 that he tasted death for every man. Jesus knows what death tastes like. He tasted of death for you. And for me. Now look at the text that I read in the very beginning. Look at verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. That doesn't mean that men are not to be baptized. Paul would preach the gospel, others could do the baptizing. He says, not with wisdom of words. When Paul came, he did not come with the wisdom of the world. He did not come with the wisdom that men may have thought that he would come with. It wasn't with wisdom of words. He said, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. But now verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But us which are saved is the power of God. It's a foolish thing for some people uh, that, to, to suggest that because a man was nailed to a cross nearly 2,000 years ago, that we could, because of that death, be forgiven of our sins. They see absolutely no connection between that and our salvation today. Well, in Isaiah, the 53rd chapter, Isaiah said, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form to comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He is despised and we esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and listen to this part, with his stripes we're healed. Oh, we may not understand the logic to it. Man being nailed to a cross and being able to have the forgiveness of our sins, but that was God's plan, not man's plan. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. 
For in, after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And the preaching of the cross, the death of Jesus, may seem like a foolish thing, but it's in the wisdom of God to save the world. Think about this. Some think that to obey God is a foolish thing. They just don't see the wisdom in all of that. Well, in the Old Testament, King Saul was told after he had rebelled against God that to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And we have people today who cannot see the need of, of doing what God says to do, of obeying God. But our Lord in Matthew 7 and 21 said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We're living in a time of secular humanism, which rejects the idea that there is a God. I have a quote from a secular humanist who said that there is no one up there telling me what is right or what is wrong. Well, it seems foolish to suggest that to some people. We live in a time of atheism, and humanism is atheism in a, with another title. There are those who say that there is no God, and if there is no God, there's no one to obey, and if there's no one to obey, there's no heaven to gain, and there's no hell to shun. But the fact is there is a God that we are to revere and to respect and to obey. In Ecclesiastes 12 and 13, the Bible says to fear God and keep His commandments, for well, this is the whole duty of man. Man's entire existence is for him to glorify God, to obey God, and to carry out the commands of God in his life. But that seems so foolish to some people. They say, Brother Lambert, I just don't see the wisdom of all of that. But it's the foolishness of God. Things that seem foolish to man is God's power to save the world. You take another subject. You take the subject of baptism. Somebody says, well, Brother Lambert, I, I've heard you preach a lot of times on, on baptism. And, and uh, one man said, you can take your baptism and go jump in the river with it. But let me ask you, let me ask you a question. What does Jesus mean when Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. If that verse said, He that believeth, and is baptized, shall receive one million dollars. What would you have to do to receive the one million dollars? Well, you say that's simple. You'd have to believe and you'd have to be baptized to get the million dollars. But somebody says, well, Brother Lambert, I, I just don't see the connection between a person going down into a pool of water and letting somebody put them under the water, bear them under the water, bring them up out of the water. I don't see the connection between that and the washing away of their sins. 
Well, Saul of Tarsus, you remember in Acts 22, 16, was told, Now why tarest thou? Rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Yeah, so somebody says, I just don't see the logic here. I don't see the connection. Well, let me ask you a question. What was the connection between a Jewish father putting blood on the outside of the door of his home and the firstborn in his household not dying during the night. Well, what's the connection there? Somebody says, no, that's a simple thing. The reason the boy didn't die during the night is because the father did what God told him to do. Well, has it ever occurred to you that, that maybe, just maybe, we ought to do some things in this age of the world because God said to do it. We may not see the logic in it, but we do it because God tells us to do it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Somebody says, I don't believe that. Well, all I've done is read the verse to you. Somebody says, but I just don't see it the way you see it. Well, how do you see it? Well, you say, well, I just don't believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, then you have the verse reading. Perhaps he that believeth and is saved shall be baptized. Well, that's reversing the Lord's order. The Lord's order is he that believeth one is baptized two shall be saved number three. That's just as simple as one, two, three. Well, somebody says, well, Jesus didn't say, he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. No, he didn't. And there's a reason. In that passage, there are two conditions of salvation. Faith and baptism. He that believeth, there's your faith, is baptized. Baptism shall be saved. There is one condition of damnation, and that's to be an unbeliever. Jesus said, he that believeth not shall be damned. You see, all a person has to do to lose their soul is be an unbeliever. In John the third chapter, Jesus said, He that believeth not is condemned already. We are condemned at the very point of our unbelief. It would have been redundant for Jesus to have said, And is not baptized shall be damned. Because in fact, one is condemned because of their unbelief. But the conditions of salvation in that passage are faith in Christ, Faith in the gospel and baptize into Christ. Jesus, in giving the Great Commission in Matthew's gospel, said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world and the end of the age. Jesus taught. That we're to be baptized. It's a command of the Lord. Someone says, well, I think it's a command of the Lord, but I just don't believe it's a command that's essential to your salvation. I wasn't aware that there were any non-essential commands of our Lord. Every command that the Lord has ever given to man is an essential command. That was true in every age of the world, and it's true in the Christian age today. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, when he commands something, it's something that's essential 
for us to do, essential to our salvation. And so I know that baptism seems so far-fetched to some people to suggest that you must be baptized for the salvation of your, of your soul. But I'm just trying to explain to you what the Lord said. Some think that it's foolish to suggest that the Bible is our all-sufficient word today. It's not uncommon in the religious world today for people to want to rely on the experiences that they've had. So let me tell you about my experience. Or they want to rely on their feelings. There's some, some uh, feeling that's maybe better felt than told. Is that the way that we have evidence of our pardon of sin? You see, then when we reason that way, we've relegated the Word of God to an inferior position. The fact is the Holy Spirit operates on the heart of sinners through a medium. And the medium the Holy Spirit uses in the conviction and conversion of sinners is the Word of God. In 1 Peter 1 and 23, the Bible says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The Holy Spirit operates through the Bible, and the Bible is an all-sufficient guide for man today. Somebody says, but Brother Lambert, the Lord spoke to me and said, well, how did the Lord speak to you? And why does the Lord speak to you and he doesn't speak to everyone else? You see, God does speak to us today. Yes, he does. In Hebrews, the first chapter, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So he speaks to us through his word. No, God's foolishness is not unreasonable. Things that men consider the foolishness of God is just the wisdom of God save the world. I hope that you'll obey the gospel of Christ. Do it today. I want to give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And please pick up the phone right now. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. If you prefer, you can take it online and we have that information available as well. But I want to thank you for watching today. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you is my prayer. Coming to Faulkner has been one of the best decisions of my life. Not only have I had the chance to meet many great professors, but I've had the chance to be educated by them and become their friends. I had the opportunity to serve the community through Faulkner's service programs. I really enjoyed using my talents by helping others. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.